Friends, it has been a long day, and it has been a day, I feel like it's been a fire hose. Do you have fire hoses in Uganda? Uh, a continuous stream of water at fast pace, a waterfall of teaching. Uh, and so my, my aim is not to be up here for long. I know we're tired. Uh, I know that we've, you know, our brains are checking out. But my hope for this message is that you would be inspired to see Jesus, not just in the Gospels, not just in the Epistles, not just in the letters, but in the Old Testament. And so I'm going to try to show you, first establishing uh, this teaching, this theology, this doctrine in the New Testament, but then showing you how Jesus is in all of Scripture. Two things have happened today. Number one, you have been shown by every person up here that the Word of God is valuable and it's at the foundational level for all that we do as pastors. That's the first thing you've been shown, message after message after message. This will be no different. Number two, you've been shown that we are to preach the gospel, the good news of Jesus, every single time that we preach. Okay? And so whether you're in the New Testament or you're in the Old Testament, Jesus is present. He's really there. We don't have to look under the bushes to find him. He's there. Why? Because the Holy Spirit wrote the entire Bible. And the Spirit, as Jesus says in John 14 through 17, uh, will remind everyone what Jesus has spoken. He will point to Jesus. So let's begin with our first text. So if my, my guy, all right. So John, John 5, friends, is uh, an area in the Bible where Jesus is facing controversy. Jesus is being ridiculed. He is being attacked by an antagonistic crowd. Verse 18 tells us, in part, what was going on. Look at it. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. If someone's trying to kill you, they're pretty antagonistic towards you. They want harm for you. Why? Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, which he intentionally tried to break their man-made Sabbath rules, not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his Father, making himself equal with God. Jesus was claiming to be God. Blasphemy, let's kill him. Now, if we move just a little further in John 5, starting at verse 36, listen what Jesus says. Remember, Hostile crowd, they want to kill him. He is speaking back truth to them. And here's what he says. The testimony that I have is greater than that of John. That would be John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin. The testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. Jesus says, the miracles that I am doing point to me, they are signs that point beyond themselves to something, rather someone, Jesus. My miracles are pointing to me as the promised Messiah, God in the flesh, the one who created all things by the word of his mouth. My miracles testify about me. John the Baptist testified about me, and my miracles are weightier than John. But now look. Verse 37, and the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard. His form you have never seen. 
and you do not have his word abiding in you. Now, this was a religious culture. I'm staying at one of the hotels. This, this, this Gulu area is a religious culture, I noticed. I'm from Pittsburgh and Pennsylvania in the United States. Not a religious culture. If you go to a hotel in the United States, you will not experience what I experienced. The other day, I'm trying to go to sleep, and I hear men arguing, pounding tables, uh, going back and forth. And I'm like, oh, there's a, a fight's about to break out. And so I go over and I listen. Moses did not say, and so they're arguing scripture. And I'm like, yo, where am I? <laughs> they're fighting over the Bible. Like, this is crazy. So, so I, I perceive that this is a religious culture. Now, I didn't get to hear what they were arguing about, but it was theological. Oh, that's fantastic. Okay, that's not happening when you go to a hotel and it's late at night and people are partying. You're not hearing them argue about theology. Trust me, they're not. And so this is a similar context. Look, you've never seen God and you don't have his word in you, Jesus says. Now that was offensive, mightily offensive. But listen to this. Verse 39. Actually, we'll finish with, with 38. His you do not believe in the one whom he has sent. Okay, you don't have his word abiding in you and you don't believe the one he has sent, Jesus. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. What scriptures? Friends, the New Testament was not written yet. The only scriptures that existed was the 39 books of the Old Testament. And Jesus is saying here, the Old Testament, the law, the prophets, the writings, they're all about me. But you refuse to come to me. You see it? You refuse to come to me that you may have life. And he's speaking of eternal life. The very scriptures that you study and search and memorize all point to me and yet you refuse to come to me that's the evidence that they did not know god and did not have god's word in their heart because the living word was in their presence and they rejected him not only rejected him but tried to what kill him over and over but notice these are the very scriptures that speak of me let's go to luke 24 very quickly this is jesus uh, resurrected and he's walking on the road to Emmaus. Is our seven mile road brother in here or did he leave? Okay, he left. There, there's a brother in here with a church called Seven Mile Road. That's the road to Emmaus. That's this scene. And the, the two disciples are distraught. We thought that this one was the Messiah. Uh, he, he was crucified by the Romans and now it's the third day and some of our women are saying they've seen him resurrected. And, they, and Jesus listens to them. They don't recognize him. And then it's his turn to respond to their negativity and unbelief. And he said to them, Oh, foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ, the Messiah, should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Look at this, friends. And beginning with Moses... Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. 
Now, I don't have it up, but if you were to continue in Luke 24, you would see Jesus says, all that is written in me in the law, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. The, the Jewish people divided the Old Testament up into three parts. You had the law, you had the prophets, and you had the writings, which included the Psalms and the wisdom literature and other portions. And so Jesus is saying, look, the whole Old Testament is about me. The whole Old Testament is about me. One more in the New Testament, then we'll quickly go to the Old. Let's look at 2 Timothy 3, 14 to uh, 17. Again, Paul to Timothy. But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, the sacred writings being the Old Testament which are able to make you wise for what? Through who? But wait a minute, Jesus isn't in the Old Testament, is he? He doesn't show up till the Gospels. That's not what Paul said to Timothy. You, you've been familiar with the Old Testament since you were a little boy. And these very writings of God are able to make you wise unto what? Salvation, that's Gospel. The Gospel's in the Old Testament, friends. These scriptures are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith in the Messiah, through faith in Christ, and his name is Jesus. All scripture, just in case you didn't get, he was talking about scripture. All scripture, and remember, at this point, the New Testament isn't canonized. We don't have the New Testament yet. The Old Testament is breathed out by God and profitable for what? teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now, what I want to do quickly is just show you, uh, we could go on for hours, but I know we're tired and I know we're, we're weary. And so I'm just going to show you in John chapter one, four instances that you may have missed just reading it, that Jesus is clearly in the Old Testament and John is intending for you to see Jesus in the Old Testament by these references and he's intending you to understand the gospel through these references. We go with that? Amen. All right, let's do it quickly and then we'll say amen. So let's go first to Genesis 1.1. You know it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Look at John 1.1. In the beginning, that's not an accident. John wants you to think Genesis 1.1. In the beginning was who? The Logos, the Word. That's Jesus. In the Greek mind, this was the organizing principle behind all reality. The order, the structure, the logic behind all things in the Greek mind. Okay? John says that's Jesus. He is the order behind all things. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. Now how do you know that's talking about Genesis 1.1? John 1.2. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that has been made. So you can see G John is drawing from Genesis 1 and saying, Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 is about who? Jesus. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. The six days of creation. Who spoke? And it was. Jesus. Is this not what Colossians 1 says? All things were made through him, visible and invisible, and he upholds all things. Doesn't Hebrews 1 tell us the same thing? He created the universe and upholds it with his very word and power. Let's go to the next one. 
Exodus 40, 34. You know about the tabernacle, right? Before the temple was built by Solomon, uh, God commanded the Israelites coming out of uh, Egypt to build a tent, a tabernacle, where he, his presence would dwell. And he would go among the people in the tabernacle. When the tabernacle was finished in Exodus 40, 34, this is what happened. Then the cloud, this is the glory cloud, God's visible manifestation in the Exodus, the cloud, the pillar of fire by day or by night and the cloud, the tornado cloud during the day. Then that cloud, the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the temple, uh, the tabernacle rather. So this is the glory cloud coming down on the tabernacle and it fills it to such a degree that, that nothing else could, could stand within it. Now look at John 1.14. Okay? This is Jesus. John is again referring to Jesus as the word and he says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now in the English, that does not help us. Do you know what that word dwelt means? In the original language, in the Greek. And the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. Very intentional. John is pointing back to this Exodus story of the glory of God. It's the visible manifestation of God's presence. And he's saying the word became flesh. He became a human being. And look, he dwelt among us like God dwelt among the Old Testament Israelites. Jesus is the tabernacle, friends. That's what John is trying to get us to see. When you see the Old Testament presence of God among his people, Jesus came and we are told that his name was to be Emmanuel, which means... How many Emmanuels here today? Any? One. My man. It's a great name. God with us. And so when John is, is writing this in John 1.14, he wants us to think of God's presence traveling with God's people in the Old Testament. And now the true tabernacle has come. The fulfillment of the tabernacle has come. And he is dwelling among us, Emmanuel. And we have seen his glory. Do you see the connection even clearer now? And we have seen his glory, the glory cloud coming down on the tabernacle. We have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Jesus was not just a truth proclaimer, but he was a lover of the souls of men and women. He was this perfect mesh and mixture of both grace and truth. He was able to speak truth cuttingly to people when they needed it. And yet he was so gracious and kind that even the tax collectors and the prostitutes and the sinner class gathered around him. They wanted to be in his presence, God among us. When Jesus goes to touch the untouchables, rather than him becoming unclean, they become clean. This is the Lord of glory. This is Yahweh in the flesh, Jesus Christ. Let's go to the third. I told you I'm going to move fast. Let's go to the third. Isaiah 53, 7. You know Isaiah 53 is probably the clearest place you will see Jesus in the Old Testament. It's a direct prophetic word about Jesus the Christ. And I just want to look at one verse, verse 7. He, Jesus, this suffering servant, he was afflicted and yet opened not his mouth. 
This refers uh, prophetically 700 years before it happened. This refers to Jesus' trial. And as he was on trial, he refused to speak and give testimony. As he's being slapped and punched and kicked, he just is silent. Okay? And so he was afflicted, and yet he opened not his mouth. Look at this. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth, pointing to Jesus' false trial and coming crucifixion. And then, you know Exodus 12, 5 through 7, this is the Passover lamb. And Moses is giving instruction about the death angel who's coming. And if you take this lamb, the, the blood of the lamb, and you put it on your door, the angel of death as judgment will pass over that house. Your lamb shall be without blemish a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of the month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts uh, and the lentil of the house in which they eat it. Now watch this. We go to the next slide. John the Baptist pointing at Jesus. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. Who what? Takes away the sin of the world. Again, pointing to the Passover, pointing to Isaiah 53. Friends, how many times have you read John 1 and not seen this? This is just one chapter and one New Testament book. The Bible and the New Testament does this over and over and over, constantly points back to these Old Testament famous stories and says they're about Jesus. They're about his death that will take away the sins of the world, the gospel. One more, and we're done. Jesus is the entrance into heaven. Now, this will be my longest one, but I'm going to move fast. Am I speaking too fast for anyone? Put your hand up. Okay, good. This is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Outside of the witch of Endor, which is such a bizarro story where Samuel gets called back from the dead and he has a conversation with this witch. This is bizarre. I love it. This is maybe my second Old Testament favorite. Maybe. It might change next week, but for now, let's go with it. So you know the story. Jacob has to flee Esau because Esau wants to kill him. And so he runs away uh, to, to his mother's brother. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. It's nighttime. Taking one of the stones of that place, he put it under his head and laid down in that place to sleep. Now, when I was a kid, I'm a church kid in the States. I went to church Sunday morning, Sunday school, Sunday evening, Wednesday youth club, probably Thursday youth thing. I mean, I was just in the church all the time. And when I was a kid, I'm 42, so I was in, in the 80s, we had these things called flannel grass, where they were sticky on the back and felty on the front. And you would put, put these little, you know, here's the lamb of the Passover and here's Jacob. And you stick him on the wall and he sticks. Okay, flannel graphs, anyone? Anyone. One person understands what I'm talking Two people. Three people. Four. All right. So four of you get what I'm saying. The rest of you, imagine a cutout with terrible art, sticky on the back, and if I went, it would just stick there. Okay? So I remember Jacob sleeping on the stone, and I was just like, that's amazing that he had a pillow as a stone. And I remember as a kid getting stones and be like, could I sleep on a pillow? Like, Is that possible? And so what I took away from this story as a kid was, that would be hard to sleep on a stone, but this man did it. He's a hero. The man who could sleep with a rock pillow. This is fantastic. But friends, as you'll see, that's not the point of the story. And he dreamed. 
And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on earth. So a ladder is something that you climb up to get to another level, and the bottom of it is on the earth, and it's going up, if you will, into the atmosphere, into the air. It's set on the ground, on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. Man, that's a long ladder. Right? The top of it is in the heavens, but the top of it is somehow visible to Jacob. It's on the earth and the top of it is leaned up against heaven and it's not falling over. Now watch this. And behold, the angels of God were ascending, going up and descending on it. They're going up and down. He gets a vision of angelic beings, spirit beings, people without physical bodies, and they're going up this ladder into heaven and they're coming out of heaven and climbing down onto the earth. He said, that's a bizarre story and bizarre dream. Yes, it is. It's very strange. But we need to wait to understand what it means until John chapter 1, which I'll show you in just a minute. And behold, the Lord stood above it. He's in heaven. And he says to Jacob, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father and the God of Isaac. My grandfather and my father's God is now speaking to me in a dream as I lay on a rock pillow. This is blowing my mind, Jacob says. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. It's a repeating of the promise made to Abraham and then made to Isaac. Now it's given to Jacob. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. Again, a repetition of the promise to Abraham and Isaac. You shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And you and your offspring shall, and in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Now, we can see the gospel there because in Galatians, that very promise Paul points to and says to the Galatian church, you know that Abraham heard the gospel in advance and it's pointing to that very, very verse. In you, Abraham, shall all the nations be blessed. And he's repeating this promise now to Jacob. He's speaking of Jesus who will come from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Judah, the lion from the tribe of Judah. And in your bloodline, out of your children, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob shall come the Lord the Messiah. And in him, all nations, all tribes, all languages, all people groups shall be blessed. That's a gospel proclamation in the Old Testament. Behold, I am with you and I will keep you wherever you go. Don't be afraid. I'm with you. No matter which way you turn, I've got your back. I'm with you. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep now listen to this, friends. This is very important. Jacob's proclamation about this experience is this. Surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. And this right here is the gate of heaven. Right? Because the ladder's on the ground and the ladder's going up to heaven and God's standing there and angels are going up and down. He's like, this place is the house of God. And this is the very gate, the very entrance, the very portal into heaven itself. The door to the unseen realm. And I'm standing here in the house of God. That's what he's saying to himself. Now let's go to John 1. 
The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip, one of his disciples, and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. There were fishermen. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him whom Moses and the law and the prophets wrote. Is that clear? We found him. We found him whom Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus and he comes from Nazareth. Philip said to him, I'm sorry, Nathanael said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? It'd be like you're from Kampala and says, God is living in Gulu. Can anything good come out of Gulu? That was a joke. I love Gulu. It's, it's, one of my, it's one of my favorite places on earth. It really is. I love it here. Which is why I keep coming back year after year. And I intend, if God wills, to come back next year. And so he said, can, can anything, like that's, that's back in the bush. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And what's his answer? Come and see. Come and look for yourself. Just come with me. Come and see. Now watch this. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him. So, so he sees him, he catches eye with him, and he declares over him. Nathanael said to him, I'm sorry, Jesus said to Nathanael, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Now we don't know exactly what that meant to Nathanael, but it meant a lot to him. Whatever that meant to him, it, it, it affirms something that God had told Nathaniel, because look at the way he responds. How do you know me? So, so by Jesus declaring that, that was a secret thing between Nathaniel and Jesus. And by him saying that, he, he's like, yo, how do you know me? I've never even seen you before. How do you know me? He, he's, perplexed, he's perplexed by the statement. And now look at the answer. Hey, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And so perhaps he was under this fig tree meditating about this very thing, about having no deceit, or maybe he was tempted to lie or something like that. And Jesus was like, hey, when you were meditating under the fig tree, I saw you. Friends, look at his response. You ready for this? Rabbi, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. And Jesus is like, wow. Wow, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? That's kind of astonishment. Like, really, you believe because of that? Wait for it. You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, the Son of Man was Jesus the Son of Man was Jesus' favorite title for himself. He spoke in the third person with it all the time. The Son of Man must do this or say this. Or, the Son of Man comes from Daniel chapter 7, and it's a prophecy about one who would inherit the nations and rule forever. It's about a prophecy of one whom God would give all peoples, and he would rule them. And so not only does Jesus say, hey, Daniel 7, that's me. But then he says, you remember that story with Jacob and the stone and the angels ascending and descending? I'm the ladder. I'm the ladder. In other words, listen, you want to get up to heaven? You want to go through the very gate of heaven? I'm the gate. I'm the door. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's what Jesus is saying here. 
friend, you're going to see angels ascending and descending upon me. In other words, he wanted Nathaniel to think about that story with Jacob and realize, oh my, this is the very throne room of heaven and this is the gate in. Jesus himself said, I am the door. No one comes in except through me. Did he not say that? So friends, here, just, just in four places in John chapter 1, we were able to see Jesus pointing to himself in the Old Testament. And listen, I could go on for hours just in John and show you these very same things. These are what we would call types. Um, one, one good example is the Sabbath, and, and then I'm done, okay? One good example is the Sabbath. So in Colossians 2, Paul speaking to the church at Colossae, there's all these arguments and disputes over things to eat, not to eat, religious festivals to celebrate, not to celebrate. And so he says, listen, in regards to uh, special holidays, new moons, Sabbaths, Sabbaths meaning the Sabbath, listen, those are only a shadow, but the substance is Christ. Now, now, maybe you could see this. If I put my hand up, you could see that little shadow there, okay? My arm is substance and solidness, and the light cast on it is making a shadow. Jesus, or Paul is saying about Jesus, hey, when a light is shown on Jesus, the substance, he casts a shadow, the Sabbath, a new moon festival, a holy day. In other words, all those Old Testament regulations and laws are all about Jesus. And you say, how could Jesus be about the Sabbath? Friends, do we not find our eternal rest in Christ? Did Jesus not die on Good Friday and they had to get him off the tree before the beginning of Sabbath? And so he literally Sabbathed on the Sabbath, rested in the grave and arose the day after the Sabbath, fulfilling it. So that in Christ, friends, we are resting forever in him. Amen. Even the very Sabbath points to Christ in the gospel. And so again, we could do this all day. I want you to, to think deeply about your Old Testament. Don't make it a, a bunch of heroes that we are to imitate. That's not what it's about. It's all about finding Christ and the gospel. Yes, we had to wait until the fulfillment come. Did Jesus not say, I did not come to destroy the law, but to? Or fill it full. And so I fulfill the Sabbath. I fill the Sabbath up with meaning. I fill Jacob's ladder up with meaning. I fill the Passover lamb up with meaning. I fill Isaiah's lamb up with meaning. And on and on we can go. Jesus fulfills all of the Old Testament. And beginning with Moses and the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Friends, may we be about that when we go into the Old Testament. Let us not say, let's be like Abraham and trust God and go out not knowing where we go. No, let's not do that. Because that's not the point. Okay? Abraham was the one who was called to kill his own son. And as the knife is coming down on his son, the father says through an angel, stop. And yet we know that a knife would come down on another only son. And the knife would not stop, would it? And he would die on a cross for our sins and Sinclair Ferguson showed me this do you remember in that story there's a lamb mentioned do you remember that father I see the wood I see the fire where's the the lamb do you know when the lamb showed back up Passover lamb you know when the lamb showed back up 
Isaiah 53. You know when the lamb showed back up? Behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But yet the lamb just disappears, but it's mentioned on purpose. Because you remember, there's a ram caught in the thicket, and it's substituted, like Jesus substitutes himself for all those who would trust in him. Friends, we could do this all day with the Old Testament. It is always pointing to Jesus and the gospel. You with me? Okay, so I'm going to recommend a book. I don't know how easy it is for you to get. If we come back next year, uh, I'll, pr I'll bring it. I'll bring it for you. It's called this. I love the title. Your Old Testament Sermon Needs to Get Saved. It's a great book with a great title. Okay? And, and what I've just kind of shown you just in John chapter 1 in these few examples, um, this book will unpack in a systematic way. It's a very short book, but very, very dense. Uh, it will show you how to do this, how to see Jesus uh, as he fulfills all that was written in the, the 39 books of the Bible. And so again, what we've done today, we've said the word is what we are to be about as pastors. All of our ministry flows out of the word. As you've heard, preacher after preacher after preacher, the gospel is central to our message. And now what you're hearing is that's also in the Old Testament. As you preach the word in the Old Testament, you are to preach the gospel, friends, because it's the gospel that saves. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so Jesus is our hope. He's our message. He's the one we lift up. And as we lift him up, the Holy Spirit draws people unto the Christ that they might be saved. So may he give us grace and power to preach the word and preach the gospel as we preach the word. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. It is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Father, we desire to see Jesus. We want to see him throughout the whole of the scriptures. Father, we want to see the good news that the Christ, the Messiah has come and lived perfectly in our place. We want the good news that anyone who trusts in him will be saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Father, give us grace and wisdom and understanding and Holy Spirit power to share this good news week in and week out. Counseling session after teaching, after discipleship. Father, whenever we open the word, may we point to Jesus. Give us wisdom how to make the gospel practical in the lives of our people, we pray. Holy Spirit, we trust you to do this. And it's in Jesus' name. Everyone said? Amen. 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 Thank you.